Isaiah 52, 7 through 10. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen, lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will bear his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. May God be blessed in the reading of his holy scriptures this morning. This passage is a strange one to me because it mixes two things together, which I don't normally put together, Christmas and feet. Yes, it says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet. Feet, beautiful feet. Anybody else think to themselves, oh, that person is beautiful. Have you seen their feet? No, that's not the first thing I think about. So I'm going to try to mix a few stories together. Uh, You do it anyways. You don't have a choice. I'm going to do that, and then we're going to follow some scriptures. Feet and Christmas. Feet and Christmas. How does it work together? Okay, let's sit back. I was probably 10 years old, and I was trying to get to sleep in my Aunt Marion's house. My cousin Christopher and my cousin Billy were in the bed beside me while I slept on the floor. And they were the younger cousins, and I was the oldest male cousin in that side of the family of the Clellans. And we were trying to get to sleep, but being two seven-year-old boys, they had dreams of Santa Claus in their mind. So they were trying to fall asleep, and they were dreaming of presents. They were dreaming of what stockings would be filled and things would be under the tree when they woke up in the morning. And as we tried to fall asleep, I had a little fun of trying to say, hey, do you hear that? Hey, do you hear that? Huh? Do you hear that? I was having a good time. We were having so much fun that my dad came into the room. Ever have that when you're sleeping in your, the room with the cousins and the dad comes in? You got to keep it down now. So, Ooh, man, why? so we all knew at that point we weren't allowed to do that. So we kept going. Um, <laughs> And it was, it, was, it, was, it was the little pause of the reindeer. I kept saying, do you hear that? I think it's the reindeer pause. Do you hear that? I think it's Santa's feet on the roof. Do you hear that? So feet and Christmas, we put them together. There we go. Let's keep going. So one of my friends, one of my friends, his, her dad was so excited about making them believe that Christmas was actually real. He would get soot on his boots and walk around the carpet and leave marks on the carpet that, that, that St. Nick had been in the house. That's not bad, eh? <laughs> to, to have his wife agree to that. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah. And then he got, he purchased little hoof prints that he could put on the roof that he would do, and he, he made little marks for his kids. So we got feet and Christmas together. Anyways, that's a dit. I'm done. Uh, feet and, 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 and beauty is not something then or now that are often put together. Feet and beauty. But if you think about some of the, the ways that, that people interacted then, that, that you would think feet and beauty are the furthest things from, from putting two things together. But Isaiah is very clear. How beautiful, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet Beautiful, the feet. And that's so strange because feet were not considered beautiful. Remember when Jesus washes the feet, how, how 
amazing and wonderful and, and strange that is? Why is it so amazing and wonderful and strange? I'm sure you, you know this and think about this regularly. I, it, it's the idea that everybody walked everywhere and it was quite dusty. It wasn't like they had nice boots from Mark's Work Warehouse or anything. They all were barefoot or they had like sandals on. So their feet were caked in, in all sorts of things, right? And so for Jesus to wash their feet, that was something a servant or even a slave did. That was the point of that story, of Jesus washing their feet, because it was disgusting. How beautiful are the feet. How beautiful are the feet, Isaiah says. It's a disgusting thing, these feet. They were walking everywhere. They're picking up all sorts of things. How beautiful are the feet, Isaiah says. And you have to wonder, what was Isaiah thinking? Why would he say beautiful? What's he, what expression is, is he coming up with? Why is he saying this is so beautiful, these feet? Because these feet were carrying people who had the good news. And that, to Isaiah, was beautiful. That, to Isaiah, was what was beautiful. It was the good news that was coming to the people of God then and today. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet who bring good news. Why is it so beautiful, Isaiah said? Because they're bringing this message. Your God reigns. Your God reigns. Your God is in charge of the world. Your God is becoming king. This is the good news. This is the news that we celebrate at Christmas. This is the news that forms the church to be the church. Your God reigns. The Gospels all use a different expression of your God reigns. They call it the kingdom of God, but it's the same idea. Your God reigns is God becoming king, and therefore it is his kingdom. So your God reigns, that's the good news. That's the good news. Often we start the good news with bad news. We're sinful and we're terrible people, but that's not the good news. The good news is that God is becoming king. God is becoming king, and when God becomes king, even the worst and the most broken among us are lifted up and elevated into his world. We are saved. That's what it says next, that it, we proclaim peace, good tidings, and salvation. Peace, we talked about last week. Remember what peace means? It's shalom. Shalom is that Hebrew expression. It's the way people greet one another in the Mideast. We say, hey, how's it going? Hey, what's up? Hey, hmm, oh. And we say even smaller and smaller words all the time. We used to say hello, now we just, uh. Does anybody greet one another with an uh? Wives, quit looking at your husbands, right? Uh, uh. We use like grunts and groans and stuff instead. They say to one another, shalom. That's a beautiful word, isn't it? Shalom. Do you know what shalom means? It means everything is set right. So when you greet another, one another with shalom, you are saying, may everything in your world be set right by the power of God. And we say, hey. And we say, hello. And they say, may everything in your world be set right by the power of God. Isn't that a beautiful greeting? Shalom. And so Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are those who bring good news, who say, your God reigns, who say, shalom, who say, proclaim salvation. Salvation, a rescue, a rescue out of slavery a rescue out of slavery, out of a mindset that we are worthless. 
that we are set in a pattern of just living to die. That we wake up in the morning, that we feed the big machine, and that we eat stuff along the ways. We consume, and we go and we consume more, and the planet can get destroyed, and other people can get destroyed, and none of that really matters because we're just consuming stuff, and we're just feeding the big business of the world. And God says, no, none of that is true. You are my beloved. You are my beloved. You are worthy, and I am going to save you from all of the narratives that you have been listening to throughout your entire life, that you are not worthy, that you are useless, that you are terrible, that you have nothing to offer to this world, and all of the crushing narratives that have been sitting on your shoulders since you were born that are pretty much the water in which all of us swim in. Those narratives are false because the true narrative is God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's the story. That's our story. That's the narrative that we listen to the one that you are saved to be part of. You are rescued to be part of that world. Your God reigns. So listen, your watchmen, lift up your voices. Together they shout for joy. Why wouldn't they? When your Lord returns to Zion, when the Lord returns to Zion. Now, us people who haven't studied the Old Testament too much don't get this passage very easily because we didn't realize that God left. We didn't understand that God left, but there's a, a scene in Ezekiel, in Ezekiel where the chariots of fire leave the, the, the temple behind, and, and, and Ezekiel looks up and sees the wheels turning, and he sees God leaving the temple. And obviously he leaves the temple because temples cannot get destroyed if God is in it. Remember, we talked about that last week with Hezekiah, that Hezekiah prayed and the, the entire army surrounded, the, uh, uh, remember that? We had the entire army, the Assyrian army surrounding Jerusalem, but because God was residing in the temple, because God was residing in Jerusalem, that Jerusalem and the temple would not be affected. But here is God leaving the temple in Ezekiel after that story. He leaves the temple and he, his people go off to exile. But no longer, Isaiah says, God will be returning to Zion. God will make his triumphant return to Zion. Zion being the mountain in Jerusalem. God is returning to Jerusalem. And if he returns to Jerusalem, he's going to be the one who's going to declare himself to be the true God, not just of Israel, but the whole world. That has been always the calling of Israel, to be the blessing to the nations. When God is in his spot, when we are being the people of God, the whole world is blessed. So God was going to return to Zion. And all the Israelites expected God to return to Zion. And they were expecting a grand picture of God returning to Zion. But do you remember the Gospels and how they paint the picture of God returning to Zion? It's Jesus walking into the city on the feet of colt, right? On the back of a colt. 
not on a horse, to declare that he is the true triumphant king of the world, an imperial king who will slice up all the bad guys. No, he's the one who comes on the back of a colt, riding into town declaring shalom, weeping over Jerusalem because they don't even know their God is about to return. All that of Isaiah has prophesied is about to come to fruition in Jesus. And Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. You don't even know what you have right before you. Because you're looking for power and I'm bringing love. You're looking for power and I'm bringing love. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet who bring that good news. Who talk to Zion and say that your ruins will be rebuilt your ruins will be rebuilt. It's a return from exile passage. So when you return from exile, everything that was destroyed during the exile to make the exile happen by all the bad guys, those things will be rebuilt. Those temples will be rebuilt. The buildings will be rebuilt. The lives themselves will be rebuilt. And my people, my brothers and sisters, my siblings, I long for a time when the lives are rebuilt. When lives again are rebuilt. We had a bit of a taste of that this week in London. I'm part of this thing called Wish, and I've shared a little bit about it along the way. And we opened our doors so that 30 people who were sleeping outside no longer sleep outside. That's good, right? That's really good news. Lives being rebuilt. One of the men walked into an open door and saw this was his room and there was heat on in the room. And he said, can I just go to sleep? And they said, yeah. What do I have to do? Nothing. It's your room. You can do whatever you want. Really? Lives are being rebuilt. Little tastes of heaven on earth. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that the way it should be? And that's still not enough because those are like temporary houses. We need better houses. But that's another sermon for another day. I'm getting going. So things are going to be rebuilt in this world in which we declare that Jesus is our rightful king. Things are going to be rebuilt Our lives are going to be rebuilt. That which was destroyed is going to be rebuilt. Gardens are going to be planted. Gardens are going to be planted. This is something that we tend to overlook as Christians, that God and Jesus have an intimate relationship with the planet. We tend to think that God has a very intimate relationship with us as people. Some of us actually don't even make it people. We make it souls which is very small and minimal for what God is actually doing. God is redeeming the entire planet and indeed the entire cosmos. All of the universe he's redeeming. And we made it little twerpy souls in part of us so that we could escape and go to heaven when we die. That is not the message of Jesus, is it? The message of Jesus is a redemption of the entire planet, including his creation. And we who live in this part of the world know it right? We who live in London tend not to know it because we go to the grocery store and get our stuff and we don't, we tend to overlook it. But here we're surrounded by people who work the land and be part of the land and the land is part of who we are as Christians all the time. And that is an intricate part of who Jesus is. And don't ever forget it. 
Don't ever forget it when we are being part of the land and we're into in, intimately working with our hands, with the machinery to make the land do things and create things. And that's all part of this redemption of the way it should be. And that's a call to be a true uh, follower of Christ. We are the people who are going to be comforted. We are the people who are going to be comforted, according to verse 9. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people, his redeemed Israel. The Lord will bear his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. We've talked a lot about the holy arm along the way. The holy arm, as you may remember, is this sign of power. The sign of power, the Hulk Hogan image that you might have. I'm not sure who the wrestlers are today, but he's the wrestler I remember. Hulk Hogan. Anybody else remember Hulk Hogan? Yes. He would run into the, the ring and he'd rip off his shirt. I'm not going to do that because this is a new shirt from my wife. Isn't it nice? Anyways, so he would rip off his shirt and he would flex his 26-inch pythons, brother. Remember that? Anybody else watch wrestling, or is this just me? Okay, a couple of you are admitting to it. I appreciate that. And he would flex his arms, and that's the image that Isaiah wants us to believe that God is going to do. He's going to flex his muscles. He's going to lay bare his holy arm. But if you read further into Isaiah, you will hear this amazing passage in Isaiah 53, verse 1. Because he's about to say what power looks like. He's about to reveal the suffering servant, right, in Isaiah 53. But he pauses at Isaiah 53, verse 1, because he understands what he's about to write is going to be a stumbling block for the rest of Israel and for, indeed, the rest of the world. He's about to reveal what power truly looks like. Power is not the flexing of muscles and violence. So he says this, who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? In other words, he turns to God and says, nobody's going to get this. Nobody's going to get this. That the true way to power is through suffering and love. Sacrifice. Giving oneself for the other. And that God will be the one leading this. That's the message Isaiah says nobody's going to get. We stumble over it still to this day that many of us still want a God of power. If our God is for us, who can stand against us? And we thump it like a drumbeat going to war. And it hasn't ever been like that with our God, has it? Our God is a God of love. Our God is a God of weakness. Our God is a God of vulnerability. And our God calls us to be people like that as well. When he lays bare his holy arm, he shows us what true power looks like. And true power is love. That's the arm of the Lord. That's the message of, Jesus, of, of the, the good news. That's the content of the beautiful feet. So we have, first of all, how beautiful on the feet are the mountains who bring good news. And that was the content of the, the good news. But I want to flesh out this idea of, of feet just a little bit more. Because feet are also our pacing for the kingdom. Feet are also our pacing for the kingdom. 
And they're saying to themselves, why did we invite this guy? Anyways, let me explain. Feet are the pacing of the kingdom. Feet are the pacing of the kingdom because the kingdom is a walking pace. The kingdom is a walking pace. If you see, read the scriptures, if you read the New Testament, even when Jesus is doing his most urgent thing, is he ever running? No, he's walking. Why? Well, first of all, they didn't have cars. Good point. They didn't have horses. They did have horses, but he never used one. And he never ran. Why is he walking everywhere? Well, the heralds of that time, the ones who proclaimed the good news, went on horseback. They went city to city to declare that the empire was doing something. That was what called the good news of the day. They went horseback, city to city, or town to town, and a herald would proclaim good news. The Caesar just had a child. Isn't that exciting? Bow down, everyone. That's what he would declare as he rode into town on horseback, and then he would go through the town, and he would go to the next town, and he would say the exact same thing again and again and again. He was on horseback. He had a message to proclaim, but part of the message of Jesus is to be in relationship with the people you're giving the message to. So we have to slow down and walk. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet who bring good news, not the horse hooves, the horse hooves would get the message there faster. The pacing of Jesus' message is intimacy and love. That we're not running, that we're not on horseback, that we're a slow person to person relying on welcome and relationship. Think of when Jesus sent out them two by two. Do you remember that scene where he sends out the disciples two by two and he says, go into places and and." Be welcomed by, place, by people. Be welcomed by people. Do you know how slow and intimate it is to have to be welcomed by people? He didn't say barge into their homes and make yourself at home and just do whatever you feel like. He says get welcomed into their homes. Make sure they invite you into their homes. In other words, you have to do all the work as the one being sent out. You have to go and love them. You have to go and welcome them. You have to make them feel something so much so that they welcome you into their homes. We've done this churchy thing a little bit wrong sometimes. We think it's the point is to welcome them into this space. But according to Jesus, we get welcomed into their space. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't that an amazing way to do the gospel message? That the pacing of it is by foot. It's a slow person-to-person relying on welcome and relationship. So the content of the good news, your God is king. The pacing of the good news is that we do it by foot. And finally, the method of the good news is also a foot message. The method method of the good news is also a foot message. There's two feet stories in the Gospels. Do you know your feet stories in the Gospels? I've given you one of them. It's the washing of the feet. What's the other feet story in, in the Gospels? when they wash Jesus' feet. Do you remember this one? The lady washes Jesus' feet. The one who has a bad reputation in the city washes Jesus' feet. In fact, she smashes an alabaster jar. 
This alabaster jar should have been kept for her marriage. This alabaster jar should have been kept for a, a marriage as a dowry to give to the other so that it would eventually be used as a burial perfume. That's how that, that alabaster jar was supposed to work. But she smashes it open. The smell of alabaster would have wafted not through this, the, the house, but through the city. This is such a strong smelling smell that it covers up the scent of death. That's the point of it. That when somebody is decaying, they're covered in the alabaster stuff and so that they're, they're covered in this nard that, that it completely covers their body and you can't smell that they're decomposing. That's the point of this, this nard that you put on them. She smashes it open and puts it on Jesus' feet with her hair, pulls down her hair. What's that mean, by the way? Whew, we're starting to get into some weird intimacy stuff here because you only pull down your hair for your husband. She put down her hair for Jesus. She smashes the alabaster jar, which should have been held onto to, till her husband's demise and puts it on Jesus' feet. And he says, all of history will remember this moment because you are honoring me. That you are honoring me with the greatest of your gifts and the greatest of your intimacy. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a beautiful picture of the people of God that we should be that we toss aside all societal norms, that we toss aside all the ways that people pressure us to be intimate and silly, and we just say, I am not caring what you think. I love my God, and I'm going to show the whole planet. And I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm going to smash alabaster jars all over the place. All the ways that people pressure you to be a certain way and to act a certain way and to keep your hands folded a certain way and to dress a certain way. We're tossing it all aside for love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And how do we respond? That we have this amazing intimacy with our Lord. We wash people's feet. It's a monstrous risk. And then the final thing of feet that, that we see in the, the scriptures is Jesus washing them and then calling us to do the same. Calling us to do the same. And what do I mean by washing people's feet? Well, we, we do foot washing services every now and then in, in church. And anybody actually participated in a foot washing service? It feels a little awkward, does it not? That, that all of a sudden these little tingly things come out and the smells come out and the socks fly off and you're like, whew. They're like, I'll touch your feet. That sounds like fun. That's what we do. Now, here's what I was adding to the, at the beginning of the, the sermon is the importance of that message is not that it's just weird and that we hide our feet and where they're put away, but they're disgusting. They were covered in mud and caked in all sorts of garbage and Jesus still washed them. Jesus still washed them, the most disgusting things, the most hidden things, the most nasty and unspoken things, and Jesus still washed them and cared for them. And you know this, that when you truly love and care for somebody, that's who you become. That you're the one who washes all the nasty bits. You're the one who cares for them, um, no matter how nasty and sweaty and garbagey and weird it gets. You keep holding on to them, and you never let them go. 
And in doing this, you're washing Jesus' feet. And we are called to be those people. We are called to be the people who wash feet. We are called to be the people who announce good news that your God reigns. So let's wrap this up. The feet on Christmas is not just the content of the good news. It is the pacing of the good news. It is the method of the good news. It is a way of being vulnerable. It is a way of being weak. It is a way of being love. It's to take care of all the nasty, weird parts of one another all of the time. It's not just an announcement we ride by and say, hey, this happened, and we keep going. We slow down. We pace ourselves to a walk, and we say we're going to be in your life for a long time. And here we are announcing the good news. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your love, and we thank you for this message. And as we come to you at the end of this service, we just want to pray for us as we go forward from this day that we would be people of feet, that we would use our feet to declare this message, this good news that your God, our God reigns, this pacing of the message that we would move at a walking pace and perhaps even slower, and that we would use this method of feet to be intimate with one another, to toss all things aside for the risk of it all, because you so loved the world that you gave your son. And we celebrate that today. Amen.